0: It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. Today we have a special guest speaker on campus, so buckle your seatbelts.
1: So I'm super excited to share with you all today. Um, I'm sad that you guys have to have me as your last... Well, if you're saying tomorrow you have Eric for your last Daily Thunder, but... Um, it's neat when someone approaches you to, to speak on something or to share on something. Um, at first I had a pre-assigned topic, which I was really excited about. And then that kind of got thrown out the window. And then it was like, oh, you can share on anything you want. And that's like a dangerous thing to say. So there's a lot of trust in me being up here this morning, I guess. But um, I really wanted to share on a theme that Jesus has just pressed into my heart deeply over this past year, and I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but um, there are those seasons where you don't realize that there's a theme that God is weaving through your life until that one defining moment, and then you just have so much clarity for what has happened in the past that you just see the faithfulness of God, kind of just that timeline of his faithfulness threading through your life, and so I wanted to kind of bring you into something that the Lord has been walking me through literally since January 1st of this year, and um, that he's just been building and polishing and refining and purifying. And so it's kind of good that, you know, I'm sharing in December when he's had a whole year to hone this articulation for you guys this morning. So I want to share on the thrill of hope that we have in Jesus. And it's a, a phrase that we might be used to if you're, if you've sung the song, Oh Holy Night, and just the different refrains that you hear throughout that song of just Um, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. And when we had your guys's, one of your graduations, I forget if it was classic or advanced, and we were asked, the staff was asked to kind of commission you guys or encourage you guys to endure with different things, endure with love or endure with perseverance or endure with diligence. And I remember mine was to endure with hope. And that's when I realized that this Theme has been building over the course of the year, and I remembered, wow, this is actually a word that the Lord had given me on January 1st. That I and I remembered writing about it. So, I'm going to bring you into my journal a little bit, which can kind of be a scary place to be every once in a while. But um, I promise you that this will just be an edifying, um, just an edifying entry of how the Lord was was building this into deeper into the fabric of my soul. And so, this was an entry dated from. January 1st, 2019, and I titled it Against All Hope and Yet Believing. And I remember in that season, it was actually a really dark time, um, just with some different things that were kind of swirling around in that very season that made things difficult. And there wasn't a lot of, there was such hope in Jesus, but yet in the circumstances around a, uh, the situation that my family and I were walking through, it was very dark. It was very different than your typical you know, New Year's resolutions moment, um, and I remember sitting on my parents' couch back east and just having the Lord freshly bring all of this truth to mind. And so I'm just going to kind of uh, read these scriptures to you that the Lord impressed upon my heart and then um, get into the entry a little bit. So Romans 15:13 says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then Romans 4, 18 through, uh, in Romans 4, it says, Who, meaning Abraham, against all hope, believed in hope, according to that which was spoken. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. Lamentations 3.26 was another one, and that says, It is good that a man or a woman should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. And then Romans 5 says, And not only so, not only this, but we glory in tribulations or trials, knowing that tribulation works perseverance, and perseverance works character, and character works hope. And hope does not disappoint Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given to us. And so as the Lord brought these promises freshly to mind, it wasn't that I was going in search of something encouraging in this dark time. It was just, I literally remember sitting on my couch, gazing at our Christmas tree, and just having one of those quiet moments before the Lord. And this all swept in just like a flood. And so I was writing things down as they came to mind. And then this is what resulted out of that time with the Lord. I had written the following. I said, hope. The words seemed to rise from the remnants of 2018, which is what hope seems to do, rise. We can't help it. Humans were built to hope, and to hope in their Creator. Sometimes I have to conjure a word for the year, but as I was praying this morning, this word of hope greeted me with clarity and excitement. I didn't have to go scrounging for these verses. The Lord has surrounded me with them over time, and now I have a meaningful anthology of truth for this season. I have learned firsthand over and over and over in these past weeks that if my hope is, in, is anywhere but in the Lord, I will be disappointed and dissatisfied. I always used to wonder what it meant to hope only in the Lord, and while I'm still learning what that looks like and what expressions it takes on, I am quite familiar with what it is not. And then at the very end of that entry I wrote, it's going to be a great year. and. Goodness, if I had known what would transpire in this past year, you would think, oh, would I have said the same thing? And yes, I would say the same thing, even though there has been hardship and great joy laced within this year. But I I don't know if that resonates with any of you all, of just being so brimful of hope within a new year or a new season or a new this or a fresh start here, and yet that can so easily dwindle. Or we can so easily grow easily grow tired in that hope as we wait on the Lord to perfect something which concerns us in this area or in that area or in another one, and it doesn't take us very long to realize that we do live in a very weary world. It doesn't make it any easier that here where the Christians are standing in truth, and we have it seems like we have the world against us, trying to drag us down or trying to. Um, you know, even when you're out and about shopping, or you're talking to the waitress at the restaurant, or you're at the, you know, uh, checking out in the grocery line, you know, paying for your groceries, and you just hear the hopelessness of the people around us. And we see that, you know, we do live in a very weary world, Um, and I think we get a, a sobering and Painful yet stirring picture of that in Romans 8, you know, where it starts, Paul is talking about um, how, you know, the creation was subjected to frailty, to futility, as it says, or to vanity, emptiness, just being depressed, depra- sorry, I can't say that word this morning, depraved, frail, and that the whole creation just groans. Um, and that we're just. I know that resonates at such a deep level of our soul because I think each of us know what that means to groan within our soul or just to have those pangs of ache or of waiting for something to transpire or come to pass. But that scripture says, For we know that the whole creation itself, so all of God's created world, not just the people within it, but his whole creation, groans and labors with birth pangs together until now, which I can only imagine is excruciating. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit within us, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body, for we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance or with patience. And I love that articulation of scripture because you, you just feel that turmoil of this whole creation just creaking. It's like when you live, I live in this um, older apartment, Annie, Annie and I were just talking about this and how there's something so endearing about all the creaky floorboards as you walk across. And, and I know we can all feel that within our world. It just is creaking and groaning. It's broken and it's weary and it's waiting for even the creation itself to be redeemed. And as Christ's own, who had the, that first fruits of the Spirit, with the Holy Spirit indwelling in us, we too will groan within ourselves, waiting for that future hope that we have in Jesus. And yet we've been given so much hope in Him already, which we'll further unpack um, in time to come. But yet within that portion of Scripture, if you look at where that's nestled, it's beautiful to see that there's bookends of promise on either side of those Scriptures. And one of those bookends is, um, and it's scriptures that we all know, but it's Romans 8.18, where it says, uh, Paul is saying, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. And then the other part of the bookend, so it encapsulates that whole chunk of scripture, at least the way that I'm seeing it, is Romans 8.28, which who has not heard or memorized or has Romans 8.28 like On their keychain or as a magnet on the refrigerator or whatever it might be. I don't have a keychain or a magnet, but um, I'm assuming that someone might. So, but it says, and we know that all things work together for good. Um, What a promise that is. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purposes. And so, yes, we see we have this weary world, but yet there's bookends of promise, bookends of hope on either side of that. And not only do we have a weary world but we also have weary hearts ourselves, and um, we go through those times or seasons. We might be work, walking through a personal trial. It might be relational. It might be financial. Um, it might be health related. It might be even uh, just being so burdened over someone who's strayed away from the Lord or who has never called on the name of Jesus. I know I felt all of those things, and it can lead to a weariness of soul. We can grow weary in well doing, and and that's as believers. That says. Believers. <laughs> that says Uh, Jesus-filled believers, we can still be prone to those weaknesses Um, and just the fact that God knows that we are but dust. So we are prone to still uh, heading down that direction every once in a while if we're not careful and have that check on our spirit. And yet the world around us is even more weary, right? And um, weariness is just something that our culture is very well acquainted with and it's something that I remember even when I used to work in the secular world it was people would speak out of their weariness and they used they only used hope to communicate that wish upon a star mentality or even more to communicate a statement of doubt like oh I hope that doesn't happen <laughs> or a statement of fear or this well we can only hope but it's not a it's not a promise filled on Christ's solid rock I stand hope, it's, well, let's just kind of, you know, try to be as positive as we can be, and it's, it's not long-lasting. It's not anchored to Christ, obviously, and we see that. Um, I think a beautiful picture of, of just the weariness that our hearts can experience as believers is found in, um, you know, not to surprise you or shock you, but in the book of Lamentations which is quite possibly, or quite arguably, one of the saddest books in the Bible. I mean, the whole thing of it, if you, you know, if we can't guess, even just the title evokes what the theme is going to be about. It's not something that we see that's read at, you know, weddings or uh, graduations, you know, (laughs) things like that. Um, There's this, you know, one section that we really like to reference a whole lot, especially when we're going through something that's hard, But we don't like to read chapters like, you know, one through two and four through five that talk about the destruction and um, just the, I think, the author who we attribute to Jeremiah is just saying, um, you know, that he's in gall and bitterness and um, just the statements that he's saying are so hopeless, right, of just what they're going through. And so within this book of the Bible, it's in essence the funeral service of Israel, when you look at it. Um, and the author has been commissioned by God and given a message that's in essence to give the eulogy for Israel. And that's such a weighty mantle to carry, especially when you're going through your own grief. When you look at what was happening at that time, um, the land had gone into, Israel had gone into captivity, Nebuchadnezzar had come in, he would laid siege on the city he had destroyed everything, uh, families are are taken away, um, the city's in ruins, it was burned, and literally the temple is burned and is in ashes. And when you think of what the temple meant to the children of Israel, just the shock, um, the whiplash, whiplash that that would be to their hearts is immense. And even knowing that they deserved it, quote unquote, you know, they had rebelled against the Lord, they had strayed, they had been warned that this would be coming, and yet I can only imagine the, the despair and the, the weariness that they felt as they were going through this time. And, you know, when you just think of that, of the the temple being in ashes, you, you can't help but think that all of the hopes and dreams of the children of Israel have been burned just along, right alongside that temple. Everything that they knew, everything that they called home, um, everything that God had given them, and that they had Enjoyed even nominally within the temple, um, is now ripped away. Is now gone, and so Jeremiah has this assignment to give the funeral service, to give the eulogy uh, for this for this destroyed city, and it's painful. I mean, you read it, and it's not like what you read when you like had the best day, right? It's something that is just so downtrodden, so heavy, and. Several of the, um, at several of the beginnings of the chapters, Jeremiah is asking the question, how? And I, I know that when I've fallen into harder times, you have that reeling moment where it's like, how could this have happened? How did that happen? Or what about this? And you see that those questions that Jeremiah is, is walking through as he's looking at the destruction of the city. And I just know that it's so true of myself sometimes when I'm in that situation, um, some of the statements that he makes throughout the book um, in Lamentations 3, he, he switches his focus. So he's talking about Israel, and then in, in chapter 3, he starts talking about who he is. He kind of introduces himself in a sense. And he says, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has led me and made, He has led me and made me walk in darkness, and not in light. And then a few verses later, he says, my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. And so you read all these statements of what has gone on, and what has transpired, and how the city is laid waste. And then you read these personal statements of, I've seen affliction, like the Lord has led me into darkness. And here, this is the prophet, right? This is the man of God, the man who's um, receiving messages from God. And he even says, my strength my hope and my strength is perished from the Lord. And I, I find that fascinating because a few verses later, right? You know, he's just said that his hope is perished. It's dead. It's ashes just like the temple is in ashes, right? And then he says, he launches into this whole uh, portion of scripture that we all know and we all love, right? And that's later on in Lamentations 3 where he says, This I recall to mind. Therefore, I have hope. And it's just amazing to see that contrast of, yes, when you're looking at what's around you and even the circumstantial destruction that is, there's no way we can say that it's not bad or that it's not hard or that it's not painful. But yet, he says, he chooses to dwell and to recall something else to mind. And he finds hope in that. And he further unpacks that. And he says, it's of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. Here his city is destroyed and he's saying it's of the Lord's mercies that I'm not that I've not been reduced to this pile of destruction, to this rubble. And then he says his compassions fail not. His steadfast love never ceases. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that the, that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord, and so we just see that that whole shift of right there, right in the middle of the book, that there's this climax. And what is the message? It's one of hope, hope against all hope, right? Hoping for something that is not seen, because what is seen is not just disappointing or dismaying; it's it's even destroying personally. <laughs> um, and yet he finds such hope in the Lord and in his word, recalling to mind what he knows to be true of God and of the character and nature of God. Um, and it just, as I was meditating on this, and again, this is one of those verses that the Lord brought to mind at the beginning of the year, and to see that just the beauty of that whole portion of Scripture, of how the prophet's, Tone and message completely change, and gives whoever has heard this message immense hope in the in the midst of their uh, current circumstances. It reminded me of Romans twelve twelve, where it says, you know, rejoicing in hope, and then it goes on to say, patient in tribulation, and then continuing steadfastly in prayer. And when you look at each of those phrases, there's nothing about those phrases that is like a short duration. It's not a one-and-done, like, oh, I rejoiced last year. (laughs) Or, oh, I—yeah, there was that one time that I waited for five minutes, and then I got my ice cream. You know, there's nothing like that. It's no continuing steadfastly, continuous, at having one point and having no end. That is to be our prayer life um, after we come to the Lord. And patient in tribulation or long-suffering, to suffer long in in the trial, to not grow weary in the trial— um, and rejoicing and hope. And that, and just with the contrast of those other two statements, I see that the flow of that verse is that rejoicing is not just one thing that I do here and there. I don't schedule it in for my Sunday mornings. No, this is my lifestyle. This is a continuous having one point, having no end sort of thing in my life. And that word rejoicing, to rejoice in hope, what does that even mean? Well, the word rejoicing is actually the same word that is used Of the wise men when they saw the star. You know, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And that is the type of rejoicing that we are to have in hope. And that can be somewhat confusing because our culture, again, they have their own definition of hope. That it's the wish upon the star thing. It's the, um, the, well, I hope this doesn't happen thing. Or the, oh, we can only hope that this may, may maybe possibly slim chance, maybe by the skin of our teeth, we'll pull through and we have hope in this. And we see that our culture has has a, a, hope is a concept that's glittery, that it's attractive, and yet it seems so elusive, so intangible, so unable to be grasped, because they haven't grasped Christ, who is our hope, right, that it seems unattainable. And so when our world is confronted with that uh, juxtaposition of, okay, I'm weary, but yet I do, like, I like the idea of hope, but I don't know how to bridge that divide to truly hang on to hope in the hard times. And so we try to fill that gap. We try to bridge that gap, or our culture does, and I know I've been prone to this. Like, I'll, I'll be the first to raise my hand. But what do we do? We try to fill it with everything else. You know, we try to work harder, study smarter, uh, sh- sleep shorter, right? Uh, medicate more, or let's just binge on some food, some movies, some entertainment, and that will fill that 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 void and It'll at least make me feel better in the minute, and it's just the band-aid fix, right? And it doesn't lead to hope. It only leads to more despair, more depression, more downtroddenness. And we see that that's not the pattern of Scripture. When, you know, Paul is talking about rejoicing in hope, and Jeremiah, Jeremiah as he's talking about um, that it's good that one should hope and, you know, quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. We see that there's something different in the biblical meaning of that word hope, and it's thrilling. Like, it's thrilling to me to think that there's something so much more in that small four-letter word that, you know, we see faith, hope, and love on—needle-pointed on everything. Not everything, but needle-pointed on some things. Um, And we all would esteem it, but yet we as believers have it. We have that thrill. Um, And we'll get into that more as we go on here. Um, But we see in that Romans 5— passage where it's talking about um, you know we glory in tribulations because tribulations produce this you know produces perseverance and perseverance produces character and character produces hope and we see that there's a process that it's not just this naturally well hope just springs up every June when the roses come out to bloom sort of situation in our lives we see that hope is almost always birthed in the darkest of times in the winter seasons right um, in the seasons where it is barren or it is um, a desert, and that's not. I th- I find that beautiful because hope is such a a beautiful concept that the Lord would refresh our hearts with hope when we're in the midst of something hard. Um, that it's one of the beautiful gifts of a waiting season or of um of the trial that feels like it we've been in for forever in that moment, right, and. So we see that hope is a process, um, that the pressure and the struggle of trial actually produces, actually births this thing called hope. Um, And it's very interesting when you think of how Jesus was birthed into this world, that he came as that light in the dark place. So I'll let your mind kind of go down on that avenue um, because we don't have time for that this morning. But um, it's a very interesting parallel that we have in the gospel. That word, hope does not disappoint means that it it won't make you ashamed. Um, and we see a beautiful description of that in Psalm 34, where it says that those who look to him are radiant, and their faces will never be covered with shame. Um, do not disappoint means to not to cause to blush, uh, not to cause to blush in this and how this is used. But you realize that in Christ, we're never going To have to explain away something that God chose to do. We will never be caused to blush over an action of the Lord in our lives or in this world. We have nothing to—he deserves no apologies from us. We're never going to—you know, you always have, like, that one life moment, or, you know, we usually call them embarrassing moments where—and it's not related to us, but it's it's our friend, or it's that relative, or it's that sibling, and you're like, no, 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 no. They just—yeah, they they just did that. And you're left with the aftermath of trying not to blush and trying to explain away why little Timmy did thus and such. And we'll never have to do that with God. He's so other than that. There have been many times when I've caused myself to blush over how I did or did not handle a situation, but that's never God. Hope does not disappoint. Hope in the Lord does not fail us. Hope in the Lord will never make us flesh. We'll never have to feel like we need to explain it away. Like, well, I, I hoped in the Lord, and, and I thought he would come through, and, well, I guess maybe he's not really that interested. That's just not our God. And we see that so clearly in this portion of, portion of Scripture. Hope is so many things. It's hard to define in some ways, but really... When you boil it down, um, I like to think of it as just a confident, settled expectation in the fulfillment of God's promises. And paired along with that, it's also realizing that it's not possible without delay or without pain or without waiting or without disappointment sometimes in life or even without general upheaval, right? (laughs) There are those times where our world just seems like it's been tipped upside down. And I would just say, lean into those times because it's that's when hope is birth. That is when truth becomes even more precious to your heart and to your soul. So in, within these verses, we have these thrills of hope that are locked away, and we our heart just lights on them. At least mine does when I read them. And when you think of Jeremiah, when he's re, you know, when he's writing and penning this message from the Lord, that you know, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, that His mercies are new every morning and great is his faithfulness and it's good that we should hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Ultimately, you know, when Jeremiah says that um, it's good that one should wait for the salvation of the Lord, he's looking for more than salvation from his current circumstances. Ultimately, what we can carry into that as post-cross believers, right, and with the perspective that we are blessed to have and live in this time to be able to have, is that he's ultimately looking for the hope of salvation— capital capital S, salvation found in Jesus Christ. And that is where the thrill of hope is found, that it's not the wish upon the star, I hope that this happens, or I hope that I get this gift for Christmas, or I hope this or that. It is no—hope It's not just a thing, or it's not an outcome, it's a person. And it's Jesus, and He is that thrill of hope that thrills our hearts, that thrills our souls. And He, what does it say of Him in the Word of God? But that He He came to give light to those who sit in darkness, right? That He um, is the brightness of the Father's glory. That He just illumines these situations. And hope, we think of hope if if hope were a color or if hope were um, a shade, it would be bright, right? It's not going to be, you know, the muddy ice, like all the ice that's turning all congealed and gross out there is just like this grayish, grayish, ugly color. No, hope is something that's bright. And we see that Jesus is that brightness, he, that he is that bright hope that we have um, for today and for tomorrow. And he's also not just our hope or the thrill of our hope, but he's our living hope. First Peter says that, you know, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. And I just love, and we, we've sung often um, living hope over in just that way, over yonder uh, in some of our worship times together. And how true that is that Jesus is not, wasn't just, a hope when he was alive on this earth, but he's living today, indwelling us, that the Spirit of Christ um, is alive and indwelling us as believers today. And then he, Jesus also isn't just a thrill of hope, he isn't just a living hope, but he also spoke and performed and manifested the hope of God. We see that ultimately in the cross, right? That we who are without hope in this world now have been given every hope in Christ who has drawn us near uh, to, his th- to himself, to his side by his precious blood. And we also see that even in Luke 4, when Jesus enters the synagogue and he's handed the scroll and it happens to be Isaiah, right? And he starts reading out of it and what he reads is hope-filled. What are some of the things that it says? It says that, um, he said he's been sent to set the captives free, right? That he has come to preach deliverance, that he's come to heal the brokenhearted, and that he's come to preach the gospel. All of that just bespeaks of hope. That's, at least that's what I hear when I read that portion of scripture. So when you look at the fact that Jesus is our living hope, we also see And what I have come to firmly believe over this past year is that hope is such a primary witness that we have to this world and to this generation, who, quite frankly, does not have any hope. Um, Not just practically, not just emotionally or mentally, but ultimately spiritually, right? And that should be something that that grieves us, uh, that grieves us tremendously. But I see that God is so good to be able to give us a message of hope, um, what does it say? That we can always be ready to speak of the hope that lies within us. And we realize that, you know, Colossians 127 that says that Christ within us is that hope of glory. And it is because of the Spirit of Christ inside, guiding and moving and opening our mouth, even when we'd rather keep it shut in that situation, um, that we can give a true message of hope to this generation. It says in Ephesians 2, 11 through 13, I'm kind of paraphrasing a little bit, but Paul says, therefore remember that at that time you were without Christ, having no hope, and without God in the world. See that they're both linked. Without hope, without God. Without God equals without hope. <laughs> um, if we are hopeless, well, are you including God into the situation? I know that I haven't always processed things in that way, I'll be honest, but we see that this generation is hopeless. And we we see that manifested so clearly. I've never, I've never seen and heard so many cases of self-harm and suicide and eating disorders and things that are tearing God's creation up from the inside out, as I have in this generation. It blows me away. And the closer that I get to it, which I don't like to get very close to it, but the closer that I've gotten to it and, and, and prayed with people through it, the more that I see that there's no living hope, that in some way, shape, or form, that has been forsaken. And I know there's so many situations that surround those things, but I, I truly believe that as Christians, we're called to dispense a message of hope to this world, and that something as simple as that can speak volumes of the Lord and can bear him great testimony and bring him so much glory. I was traveling a little while ago and you know you're traveling. You're getting ready to go through like the TSA checkpoint line. You're just trying to think okay how am I going to get my shoes off, get my laptop out of my bag, get my you know my TSA approved like baggie full of all of my little three ounce liquids whatever all the things are so i'm very focused in this time and i'm just being me and, and quite frankly it was like the day before was it was a bad day it wasn't a a great day so by the world standards it's like i should just be able to carry my frown in and just be completely self absorbed and i remember i approached the the tsa guy who wants to see your license and your boarding pass and all of that and those are, it's kind of like greeting the guy at the DNV. You never know what, that's, what that interaction is going to be like. And if he's having a good day or if you're not going to have a good day after this. And I just remember I got up to him and I just was, I didn't think that I was doing anything differently than just thinking about getting through the line, getting through security. And he stops, he asked for my license and I handed over. He said, oh my goodness. He said, your smile, and this is totally non-creepy, elder, nice gentleman, you know, says, your smile is so radiant. He's like, I have not seen anyone smile like that today. And granted, it was like 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> so I guess that is a miracle that there was even a smile on my face at that time. But to me, I was just thinking, I didn't know what to say, so I just said, oh, it must be Jesus, and just kind of like kept going. Because I... I was even thinking that doesn't even make sense. I, I've had this bad day. I'm just thinking about getting through the TSA check line. I am not that much of a morning person. I have not even had coffee yet, and yet it was the testimony of Christ eating. There was nothing about Sarah Guthrie that he saw in that interaction. Just to let you all know, um, it was Jesus. It was the hope of Christ, because even in that bad day, there's still hope. There's still hope in the Lord. At least. That's what should be communicated through our witness and through, our, through our, even our countenance, which Psalm 42 so clearly speaks of. Um, you know, it says, Why are you disquieted within me, O my soul? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the help of my countenance, it says. So we see that Jesus is our thrill of hope. And I've been referencing different lines of O Holy Night kind of throughout this little meditation. Oh, Holy Night was never one of my favorite songs. But yet, as I was, when I became an adult, and I was listening to the lyrics, or even just reading through them, maybe in a hymnal, I can't quite remember, I was just struck by the beauty and by the gospel that is shared within those lines. I just want to share and pull a few excerpts and and kind of wrap this up with a a bow for you guys this morning. But Oh, Holy Night begins... By saying, Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared, and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. And later on it says, You know, that, that line that just grips my heart now it says, Fall on your knees. To behold your king. The second verse goes on to say, The king of kings lay thus in lowly manger in all of our trials, born to be our friend. He knows our need. To weakness he is no stranger. Behold your king. Before him lowly bend. And then that third verse says, Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love, and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break, and the slave is our brother. And in his name all oppression all hopelessness shall cease. And as I was meditating on on those refrains, on those stanzas, I was just struck by the beauty of uh, even the poetry and the prose of just long lay the world in sin and error pining. Like, I could never write that. I'll just be honest. That's so beautiful. And the soul feeling it's worth, there's so much that just evokes all of those uh, creative feels right within me. And I remember being quite disenchanted, when I found out the origins of that hymn, or we'll call it A Christmas Carol. And really, it was penned by a a French poet who was commissioned by a a local priest to write a poem for the Christmas Eve mass type of a thing. And this man is completely unregenerate. I mean, knew the inside of a pub more than the inside of the church type of a situation and he it was a commission it's a paying job paying gig so okay yeah i can you know write some words and and you see what came out of his pen as he's meditating on the birth of christ that he's writing the gospel and yet there's this great divide this disconnect and how true that is in our culture that hear that song has been sung by everybody and their brother, every secular or sacred artist, and yet for some, it is an anthem of hope. It is an anthem of the gospel, anthem of the love of God. And for some, it's the paying gig. It's, well, this is the Christmas classic. Or this is, you know, has that high note that some people think that they can get and they can't, which would be me. Um, And we see that you know, we can sing about hope, we can write about it, we can get paid to talk about it, and yet that doesn't mean that we have it. And so my encouragement to you all today is number one, do we have it? And if we have it, are we clinging tightly to it? And then just three really quick things would be, you know, in order to to gain bright hope, not just for tomorrow, but bright hope for today, not You know, I love "Great is Thy Faithfulness," but it's like, wait a minute here. (laughs) Like, I need hope every day, moment by moment, not just strength for today and hope for tomorrow, which I I totally love the song. But three, three quick things just to take hope for today and tomorrow would be to surrender your hopes to the Lord. One of the best hope-filled articulations or definitions of hope that I've come across has been by Lilius Trotter, and I just love the the definition that she brings to this concept of hope. She said, "Take the very." hardest thing in your life not just slightly hard not just inconvenient or disappointing but take the very hardest thing in your life right now the place of difficulty whether inward or outward and expect God to triumph gloriously in that very spot why for just there he can bring your soul into blossom and to me that's a that's a picture of hope hope can can kind of be elusive but yet when i look at that that is to be a hope filled individual to take that that area that is so broken beyond belief or that area that it feels completely beyond repair, and to expect God, not to wish upon the star, but to expect God to triumph gloriously in that spot, and not just to make it neutral or to make it passable, but to make it bring forth life and to completely redeem that with an abundant, extravagant redemption in our lives. The second thing would be after surrendering our hopes to the Lord, because we realize that our, our true hope is found in laying down our our petty hopes and hoping in the God of the word. Second thing would be to rehearse truth. In Lamentations 3, right when Jeremiah changes his tone there, he says, this I recall to mind. And so my challenge to you is, what are you recalling to mind? Are you shoring up your soul in truth? Or are you just rehashing the pain? Or are you wandering down the annals of disappointment? Or are you completely immersed in the yuck of whatever's happened? Or... Are you recalling God's truth of the situation to mind? And that makes all the difference. Um, Psalm 119, verse 114 says, You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Psalm 130, verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word do I hope. And that is to be where we are to place our hope, is in the word and in the promises of God. And then the third thing would just be to hope in God alone. And that is where the hardship can come in for us, right? To hope in God alone, not in the expected outcome, not in that this is what I kind of would really like to have happen, but no matter what, when lose are draw, my hope is in the Lord. And I, I remember there's this quote by Adoniram Judson that says, the future is as bright as the promises of God. And that's such a beautiful, hope-filled statement, right? That our future is as bright as the promises of God. And I guess to close all this, my, my challenge to you would be how bright is your future based on how many of the promises of God that you know? And are you preparing your heart now for the day of trial or the day of trouble or the day of general upheaval when everything's been turned upside down so that you, no matter what the situation, like Jeremiah can say, this I recall to mind. Therefore, I have hope. Let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you so much for for your word, for the living hope that we have in you. And Father, I pray um, for each person that is in this room or is listening to this, Lord, that you would remind them of your promises, that you would remind them of your word, of your truth. Lord, that we would be hope-filled individuals who have a witness, and a testimony of hope to display to this weary world. Father, I pray for those hearts that are languishing, that are heavy. Lord, I pray that you would refresh them with your truth. In your name I pray. Amen.
0: Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m. and weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellersley.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellersley campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.